0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Wow, I was going to ask how you all doing, but it sounds like you guys are doing pretty well. Good to see all of you. I'm glad some of you figured out what time to show up today. Time changed Sunday. People couldn't figure out if it was before, turn it ahead or fall back, spring back, whatever it is. But some of you figured it out. I'm proud of you. Way to go. Um, this morning, we are uh, continuing to march through our, our series in the book, of Exodus, and we're going to tackle a large chunk of Exodus uh, this morning. And this morning, we are going to be talking about knowing God. We're talking about knowing God. And my question for you this morning, I I don't care how long you've been to church, I want you to wrestle with this question. The question is, do you know God? And I don't mean do you just know about God. Do you know him personally? Do you know him intimately? Do you know him relationally? And here's the thing. It feels to me like the longer you're a Christian, the easier it is to just all of a sudden start learning more and more about him as opposed to growing in your relationship and your closeness to him. So I want us to wrestle with that this morning, to make sure that we don't just slip into Christian cruise control and go through the motions when it comes to, uh, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to church, when it comes to praying or, or anything else like that. This is absolutely critical to our faith, that we examine our hearts and really ask ourselves, do we know God? It makes all the difference in the world. And maybe you forgot that this morning. So I pray that you would listen to this with, with new ears. See, here's the thing. I was raised in the church. My dad was a pastor. But it wasn't until I kind of went through some kind of a prodigal son experience that, that my faith became real to me. That is when everything changed. That's when everything changed. I didn't just know about God anymore. And, and that's kind of it was my attitude. It was like, yes, Jesus is God. And he lived for me, died for me on the cross. Tell me something I don't know. And it was just information. God made it real to me. I started to know him. I started to see and experience the difference that he made in, in my life. Now, there, if, if you haven't heard of him, I want to introduce you to a guy named J.I. Packer. I love this guy. He wrote a book, an amazing book, called Knowing God. I don't know if anybody here has read it, but if you haven't, I want to encourage you to read it because it will absolutely blow your mind. So, so maybe after you know our service today, jump online, buy it, put it on your nightstand, throw it in your bathroom, put it in your car, read small chunks of it, meditate on, on uh, what he has to say here. And I want you to listen to a short section of it now. And as you listen... I I want you to evaluate your own heart. I want you to evaluate your own life in light of what he is saying here, okay? So follow along with me. I'll I'll put the quote on the screen. Packer says this, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. And then, He quotes the scripture saying, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He goes on and he says, What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, more delight, and more contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. And he quotes Jeremiah, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise men glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. And finally, what of all the states God ever sees man in gives him most pleasure. Knowledge of himself. Quoting Hosea, I desire the knowledge of God More than burnt offerings, says God. J.I. Packer is saying that there is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing more important than knowing God. Not just collecting a bunch of facts about God, but really knowing him because you're close to him, because you love him, because you have deep gratitude for him. Packer is saying this, that no matter what you accomplish, No matter matter how great your achievements are, no matter how much fun you might have, no matter how nice your family might be, if you don't know God in a personal way, then your life will be empty, your life will be meaningless, and your life will be unsatisfying. Now, I I want you to understand me here. That's not meant to be an insult toward those who don't know God right now. That's meant to be a diagnosis. And we're all grateful for a diagnosis. If somebody can tell us, if the doctor can tell us what's wrong, we become grateful for that because then something can be done about it, right? So let me ask you, does your life line up with that? Does your life line up with that? I mean, if we studied your life, what would your life say about what is most important to you? What it is that you cherish the most, that you love the most? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What do you need to feel like everything is okay? What is it that makes you happy? What is it that makes you disappointed? Are you able to say that your life has everything to do with knowing God? And you know, we talk about knowing God, and it's like we hear it so often and we just kind of I don't know, it goes in one ear and out the other. We can't do that. We have to evaluate our hearts and lives. Are you able to say your life has everything to do with knowing God? Because that's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's why we were created. It's what needs to define us. Not just as a bunch of individuals, but collectively, together, as the church. Now, Our scripture passage today is from the Old Testament, and it's all about knowing God. And we're going to read about one of the greatest events in history. It was the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And God's purpose, I I, I want you, this is critical to see, God's purpose in giving the law is to invite Israel into an intimate, life-changing relationship with him. That's the purpose behind him giving the law, to invite Israel, his people, into an intimate, life-changing relationship with him. And we learn at least three truths about knowing when it comes to knowing God. And we're going to look at each one, we're going to unpack it all, and then apply it to our lives. So, first of all, if you're taking notes, we're going to be talking about the blessings of knowing God. The blessings of knowing God. Let's look at Exodus chapter 19 and 20, okay? And we'll start with a a large chunk from chapter 19, starting in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen. And it says this. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, I I want us to notice something here. In order, in order to know God and to have a relationship with God, God must be the one who takes the initiative. God has delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. And now, based on that work of salvation, he invites them into a relationship. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, what are the blessings of knowing God? He mentions three things that absolutely change everything. I mean, everything They change our relationship to God, our relationship to the world, and even our relationship to ourselves. They address the deepest longings to be loved, to be useful, and to be free. They change absolutely everything. So let's look at them. First, in verse 5, it says, God says that you will be my treasured possession." You know what? Every single one of us, whether we're, we're consciously aware of it or not, whether we admit it or not, every single one of us has a deep longing to know that we have value. Uh, I, I mentioned him before, Pastor Tim Keller. He's a pastor of a church called Redeemer in Manhattan, and he's an author that I appreciate very much, and he likes to refer to the movie Rocky every now and then, right? And he likes to quote Rocky Balboa. Anybody here see the rock, seen Scene Rocky? Yeah, cool. Like all 18 of them, right? (laughs) Well, the first one was the good one, okay? And I don't know if you remember, but before his fight with Apollo Creed, he's training hard, and he's pushing himself with with really bad 80s music playing in the background, right? I knew knew I'd offend somebody with that one, (laughs) right? And he has his girlfriend named Yo Adrian, right? And she says to him, Why are you putting yourself through this? And Rocky says, because I have to go the distance, right? (laughs) And so he asks, well, why is going the distance so important? And he says, because if I can go the distance, then I will know that I am not a bum. Remember that? Every single one of us, every single one of us has Rocky Balboa syndrome to one degree or another, We all have a longing to know that we're not a bum. And we put ourselves, I mean, we put ourselves through all kinds of things to feel like we have value. And here's God, the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. And he says, You are my treasured possession. You are precious to me, he says. (laughs) So let me ask you something this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I mean, if you really believed that, can you imagine how different your life would be? How much more joy you would have in your life, even when things are falling apart around you? How much peace you would have because because you know that He loves you and He's your Heavenly Father, He's taking care of you and He delights in you. I mean, are you blessed by that? Just overwhelmed, filled with a desire to worship him and, and to live a life that, that glorifies him. So often we just slip into cruise control without giving it any thought. Knowing God isn't, yeah, I checked that on my list. It's continuing to know God. Second, in verse 6, God says that you will be a kingdom of priests. God is inviting you, not, I mean, as individuals, but not just as individuals. God is inviting us together as his people, as, as a church and, and people who would be a, a part of it, to know him so that together that we could be his priests to the world. And what's a priest? Here's a priest. A priest is a representative. A priest is a representative. A priest represents God to people. And represents people to God. <laughs> God, is, that mean, God is calling us to one of the highest callings imaginable. Well, I don't know. Um, maybe you're sitting there and you're feeling like that you're not good enough for something like that. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough money or whatever it is. Uh, you're just not good enough for something like that. Well, let me tell you something. No one is. I'm not, all right. Um, but God, I think God taught me, um, I think, a very v- valuable lesson through someone that He put into uh, my life and the life of my family years ago. There was a woman that that I mean, she became one of the closest friends to uh, my wife, Shannon, my kids, Dakota and, and Shay, and to me personally, and she's like family. She's a single mom, has no money, has learning disability, has some really bad health problems, tumors throughout her body, missing most of her teeth, and is almost deaf, and she's shy. But she's also one of the most loving people I have ever met, that I have ever met. If she found out that someone was in, in, in pain, like in their feet or their legs, or found out that they were stressed and weighed down by the harsh realities of, of life, just not feeling good. She would walk to the bus station, take the bus to the trolley, and then from the trolley station, walk to the person's house to massage their feet and legs. That was kind of her ministry. And in spite of all of the 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 countless difficult things in in her life, she has this joy, this unshakable joy. I mean, you cannot talk to her without hearing about how God has blessed her and how God has blessed the people that she cares about. And while she's there, sitting there, massaging the pain out of people's feet and legs, she quietly prays to God for that person. I know, because she's done that for my wife, Shannon. She's done that for me, Personally, she showed me what it looks like, what a blessing it is to be a part of the kingdom of of priests. This is what God's called us to. He called us to talk to people about God and talk to God about people. He's inviting us into one of the highest callings imaginable, to be his priest, to impact the lives of others for all of eternity. What kind of impact are we having on the people in our lives? Our purpose is to be the priests that God has called us to be, individually and collectively, Wherever God has you, with whatever God has given to you. And then, third, again in verse six, God has, says to us, "You will be a holy nation." Now, when you hear that word "holy," um, what do you what do you think of, or what emotion does gets stirred up uh, in in your heart when you hear that word "holy"? Well, I think for a lot of people, and, and I think I used to be, the I was this way back, especially back in high school. When I used to hear that word holy back in high school, it would bring to my mind the image of, of just some kind of angry Bible thumper with a scowl on his face, pointing his finger at me and just condemning me. I mean, that's what I used to think, right? I couldn't have been more wrong. That is not what holiness is all about. To be holy is to experience Freedom. Holiness is freedom from everything that just robs us of joy. It's freedom to be everything that you were created to be. It is freedom from sin. It is freedom from guilt. It's freedom from self-destructive habits. It's freedom from judgment. It's freedom from eternal judgment. It's freedom to love God and to love people without an agenda. It is freedom to obey God and to serve others without fear and to be open and honest about Our selfish sin. I mean, these are the blessings of a holy nation. And knowing God settles all of our issues. Knowing God settles all of our issues. Our value, treasured by God. Our purpose, our purpose, priest of God. Our freedom, holy in God. These are the blessings of knowing God. (laughs) Nothing compares to this. Nothing does. Okay. Now, this all sounds great, right? This all sounds wonderful. But there's a problem, right? It is a small two-letter word found in verse 5. God says, all these blessings are yours, What? (laughs) If you obey me fully, that is a problem, isn't it? Major problem. Did you catch that the first time we read it? What in the world do we do with that? Because this is a, a problem, and since it's a problem, we need to talk about it. So secondly, if you're taking notes, let's talk about the problem in knowing God. And the problem is that God is holy and we aren't. Major problem. God is holy and we aren't. Let me read another chunk of Exodus 19, starting in verse 7. It says, So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. <laughs> Did you guys, we will fully obey the Lord. They, they have, you know what this means? You know what this shows us? It shows us that they have no clue about God's holiness and their sin. No clue. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Now, it's important to to note that God has a special kind of a relationship with Moses that he didn't have with the rest of his people at this point. And according to his sovereign grace, Moses can actually approach God without being destroyed. And so Moses becomes a mediator between God and the people. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So Moses went up, verse 21, and the Lord said to him, and listen, listen, listen to what he says to Moses. Moses, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up mount sinai because you yourself warned us put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy and moses is saying lord maybe you forgot but you already told me to warn the people and to, to put up limits i mean we had two days of preparation the people are ready but god says no the preparations aren't adequate yet go and warn the people so that they don't try to 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 get to me and wind up dead See, God is concerned for his, his people. He knows that they still do not understand his holiness and their sinfulness. They, say, they, they said, sure, no problem, we'll keep all that God commanded us, but, but they haven't kept all that God commanded, and they can't keep all that God commanded. And if they try to enter a relationship with God, at this point they'll be destroyed. And so God says, Moses, go down again and warn them so that none of them perish. Then in verse 24, the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. And who's Aaron? Yeah, Moses' brother. Why does God say only bring Aaron up with you? We'll we'll get to that in a bit. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. (laughs) Do you see what's going on here? I mean, it's a little bit confusing. God says, you're my treasured possession, but stay away from me. He says, I, I, I love you. I love you so much, but don't cross the line or you will die. I invite you into a relationship with me, but don't come near me because I'll break out against you. I mean, that's kind of confusing, right? But maybe this will help. I, I I know analogies all break down if you look at them too closely, but um, give me the benefit of the doubt on this one. I think it it might help understand this. I remember a while ago watching several videos online of people who just, you know, all they wanted to do was hang out with lions. (laughs) And so they decided to jump into the lion's den at the zoo so that they could be close to the lion and hang out with the lions and hug the lions, right? Maybe it was something that they wanted to do their whole life. And what happens? We all know what happens. All they wanted to do was hug the lion. So is the lion mean? No. He's a lion. And they are not. You understand the problem here? See, we were created to know God. And our deepest longings are our only met in knowing God. But we can't climb the mountain. We can't even touch the mountain because he is holy and we are not. I mean, three days of consecration teach us that in order to meet God, we must be holy. But even after all of their preparation, they still can't even get close. So the point is this, that no matter how much we try to do to prepare ourselves to meet God, we can't. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. This is the problem in knowing God. The story continues with God giving Israel the the Ten Commandments, the law, and the law shows us our sin, in order to show us our problem. But thank God he also gives us a solution. And that's the th- third truth we learn, that the solution to knowing God. And I'll read our last chunk of, of our text. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 18, says... When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and and we will listen. but But do not have God speak to us or we will die. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Now, now they see the problem. Now their eyes are open to the reality that God is holy and they aren't. They also understand the solution. They need a mediator. God can talk to Moses and then Moses can talk to us. But you know what? That's only part of the solution. It's not enough because if all they have is a, is a go-between, then they'll never get close to God and, and they won't die, but they'll never really live. I mean, something else is needed. Something else must be done about our sin. And what is the solution? The Lord tells us, verse 22, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Your sheep and goats and your cattle. You see what's going on here? You see what God did? Right beside the law, God gives the sacrifices. Right beside the law, immediately gives the sacrifices. See, what the law does is the law points out our sin, opens our eyes to the reality of our sin, and the sacrifices point to the solution. God gives us the law so we can see our problem, but he also graciously gives us the solution. God is saying, your sin prevents you from getting close to me. And because I am holy, I must punish your sin. But I love you and I don't want to destroy you. So I will accept a substitute in your place. And now we see how Aaron fits in. Aaron will also be a mediator. In fact, he'll be a high priest. And as a high priest, he offers sacrifices for the sin of the people so that our sin can be forgiven and so that we can draw near to God. But here's the thing about Aaron. And this is something that Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 24 when he was talking to the two Israel, uh, two disciples on the road to um, Emmaus. Um, he tells us, To read the Old Testament through the lens of who Jesus is and what he has done. To read the Old Testament through the lens of the gospel. And based on the way that Jesus teaches us to read the Old Testament, we realize we're supposed to see that Aaron is not the true high priest. We're supposed to see that Aaron is pointing to our our perfect sacrifice. That Aaron is pointing us to Jesus. Jesus. See, this is the whole point of the story. And Jesus says, that's why the story is in here. Jesus lived a perfect, holy life. And then as our priest, he offered himself up as our sacrifice for sin. And he took all of our sin upon himself. And then he crossed the line. He went up the mountain. And there on the cross, the consuming fire. God's holiness broke out against Jesus. So now, so now, when we trust Jesus as our high priest, when we trust Jesus as our perfect sacrifice, at that moment, God forgives all of our sin. At that moment, he then begins to treat us as if we were just as holy as Jesus. He treats us as if we had fully obeyed God and kept his covenant. And he says to us in Jesus, you are my treasured possession. You are a priest to the world. You are holy in Jesus. And he says, now I invite you to come into my presence without any fear. My holiness will never break out against you. I am your Heavenly Father, and you are my beloved children. And how is this possible? It is all because Jesus is our high priest. He is our perfect sacrifice. He represents us to God, and he is our substitute. On the cross, he got what we deserve, the fire of God's holiness, and now we get what he deserves. We get to know God. We get to know him personally. We get to know him intimately. We get to know him eternally, not just about God, not just from a distance, but a loving relationship with him, and it's only by trusting Jesus. So, okay. But I have a question. How do we know that we know God? How do we know that we know God? Well, here's the deal. When you know God, you will change. You will. When you know God, you will change. If you're not changing, that kind of draws into question whether or not you know God, right? If you don't care about changing, it draws into question if you want to know God. When you know God, you will change and you will grow in in holiness, and it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. I want to encourage you in that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen overnight, but there still is an urgency. But the hope that we have, uh, we read in Philippians, is that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You can count on that. That's a promise. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. So let me throw a few quick things at you uh, and answer the the what now question. First of all, to the extent that that we know God, we will be both humble and joyful. left Left to ourselves, we'll either be humble or joyful, right? But not both. And humility without joy is a lack of confidence. And joy without humility is cockiness. But... When we know God, we'll be incredibly humble because we know it's all of grace. And then we'll also be filled with joy because we know that we're his treasured possession. Also, to the extent that we know God, we will be both gentle and bold. Left to ourselves, we'll either be gentle or bold, but not both. And gentleness without boldness makes us fearful. And and boldness without gentleness is just pure arrogance. But when we know God, we will be incredibly gentle because we know God's gentleness toward us. We know God's patience toward us. And we'll also be amazingly bold because God's love has set us free from fear. Amen? Amen? And then to the extent, third thing I want to mention, that we, to the extent that we know God, we will be content and zealous. See, left to ourselves, we'll be one or the other, right? We'll either be content or zealous, but what? Not both. See, contentment without zeal is just laziness, right? And zeal without contentment is a, is a drivenness, a joyless drivenness. That sucks the life out of you and out of everybody else around you. But when we know God, we'll be incredibly content because we know that we have everything we could possibly want or need in Christ. And we'll also be filled with zeal for serving God and people because our greatest desire now has become to glorify God. That becomes our greatest desire. So, I don't know, maybe you're, you're sitting there listening um, to all this and thinking, you know what, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I don't really feel like I know God all that well. I mean, what can I do to, to, to grow in knowing God? Well, how did God interact with the Israelites? He talks to them. They talk to him. And they do it all in community, right? So, how do we grow in knowing God? Real quickly, real simple. First, listen to God's word. That is how he talks to us. Second, respond in prayer. That's how we talk to him. And third, do this in community, do this with other Christians. Cherish the time that we have together for this, to experience God, to know God. So let me close with the same question that he started with. Do you know God? Do you know him? Not just about him. If, if, If you don't know God, I am glad that you're here. And, and it is my prayer that you would think about what we talked about this morning. and, and if you have any questions, you can talk to me, but not just me but any other, any other Christian here and we can kind of wrestle with whatever your questions might might be. For those of you who are Christians. Let me encourage you. I, I want to encourage you to per- zealously, Pursue knowing God. Don't fall into just Christian cruise control. Sealously pursue knowing God. It really is why we're here. It's why we were created. This is our purpose in life. So my encouragement is that every single one of us together, that, that we would submit ourselves to experiencing what it means to be God's treasured possession, to be his priest to the world, and to be his holy people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your word. And we thank you that you are not a distant, far-off God where we just have to guess about what you're like. But, but you gave us your word. You have spoken to us and speak to us through your word. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would stir within our hearts even a greater desire to know you. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for drawing us into a relationship with you and making that possible through Jesus. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for not caring about uh, whether we really know you that well or not and settle for just knowing about you. Forgive us for our self-righteousness. We are self-righteousness whether we're Christians or we're self-righteous whether we're Christians or, or, or not. We, we so easily default to trusting in our, our, our own perceived goodness. God, we, we thank you that you graciously give us the law to graciously open our eyes and graciously point out our sin, to graciously point out the problem so that we can see and value and cherish the solution who is Jesus. God, fill us with with relief over that, an appropriate relief and a peace and a rest. Knowing that that you have clothed us in Jesus' righteousness. God, I pray that we would look to Jesus and Jesus alone for our ultimate needs. God, I pray, Lord, that we would grow in our, um, in our desire to glorify you out of pure gratitude. And, God, I, I, I pray um, that we would courageously ask you to discipline us in your love when we need it to draw us near to you and to make us more like Jesus, and to stir up a greater love for you. God, I pray that we would desire to grow in holiness, to be grow in desire to be more like Christ. God, we pray that, that you would uh, use us to represent you to people and people to you. And it's all because uh, Jesus represented you to us and us to you. God, if there's anybody here that has not put their faith and trust in you as their del- deliverer, pray this morning that you would give them, um, that you would give them the desire, that you would give them the courage to trust you, to follow Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus alone as their representative and as their substitute. God, for the rest of us here this morning, I pray that you'd help us not to be distracted. I pray that you would help us not to think about anything else. Um, but that you, by your spirit, enable us to be able to examine our own hearts and lives and then freely, by your grace, freely enable us to confess our sins to you and then rest in your grace. We pray this in, in your name.